What is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far, or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. What's Friday going to be? June 21st, 2019, episode number 84. Why do you even ask? Because <laughs> I didn't have my notes in front of me, but apparently Man. you know what's up. I'm ready. Episode ready. number 84, son. I'm excited, man. This is going to be a good one. They're all good, Scotty. This one is a good hey. one. It's another good one. Another one. Another one. I like that. So they, they are all good. They're all different, you know, and I have different parts of them that are my favorite. Yeah. So I, I, this one's this one's really good, too. I'm excited about this one. Well, we got a, we got a, got a lot to talk about. The, the last race we went to is, uh, man, tons of stuff to talk about from that one, huh? Yeah, it was it was a, a challenging day. Yeah, uh, probably more more so for the track crew than anybody else. You know, a new facility just outside the New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Just you know, I could see the the road race course from where I was at. There was a lot to take in. There was a lot of people there that were bikers, and you know, the track was the biggest challenge. But it was just freshly built. So what they had to work with, I think it can get better and better. I think they're going to have to bring in some clay. I think there was it was really wet all day that the track was, but I think there was just too much sand so it never would compress and pack in uh early in the day it looked like we were going to have a cushion like a pretty nice smooth cushion you know with some loose dirt but built these big holes and ruts and i knew it was gonna have breaking bumps but it was rough but it was it was a good track it was it was racy yeah i was watching it on and off while i was up at high point and uh as from a fan watching it it was fun as hell to watch, but I'm like in my head imagining being a rider out there actually on a bike doing that. And I'm, I just, I couldn't even, I couldn't even think about it. It was insane to watch. As well, a, a lot of the riders, you know, I've, I've watched their social media. They all say they're sore. Like, yeah. and you know, a lot of them are comparing it to a rodeo because you're, you're wow. fighting, you know, their, their back tires are bouncing off the ground. Their front tires, you know, they had their hands full. So physically demanding more like a motocross race, you know, flat track, they don't really consider it that physically demanding until you actually go out there and do it. But it is more physically demanding than than they know or than people realize but at laconia they were really you know working the mod you know their motorcycles they're up and down everything was a factor but it was more physically demanding than any other track that we've seen so far this year yeah, it was pretty crazy like that the one point that uh that briar had his bike turned completely sideways oh, that was and wow. then he saved it that was unreal like watching those riders come off the turn and, and go like, scrub the wall pretty much uh, almost yeah, every lap yeah. um sometimes run right into the wall and bounce right off of it that was just it was crazy to watch but uh it, chris that part of it reminded me of an indoor that's what yeah. you do at an indoor race you bounce off the walls and you keep it pinned and <laughs> that's crazy and so people that had indoor experience that definitely helped uh brad baker called that the save of the year i think it probably is i'm talking about briar because if he you know in your mind if you get that crossed up your mind says to chop the throttle just shut it off completely yeah. well when you do that the bike stops moving and it just slams you onto the ground so yeah. So um, for him to keep that throttle on and to throttle out of that position it, he was insane. in was amazing. And then get right back on the track, and he only lost two positions. Yeah, I know you're not a Facebook guy. I think it's on Instagram, too, but check out American Flat Track Social. It's They have a slow—I don't know if it was Thunder. I don't know who it was in the inside that caught that in slow-mo. It's the whole thing from when he went into it to when he came out of it. And it's just 
unreal. I've watched it about a thousand times, and it's I'm still like my jaw is just to the floor every time I watch it. Still, it's insane. So that that video's up there with that Brian Smith video that he put out there about a year and a half ago. <laughs> that, that, you watched that video ten thousand times. That was a hype video, man. Close. I'm still hype watching that one. Um, yeah, no. you know, you know, hold on. You know what else I liked about that day? We had Matty Beland on there who yeah. stopped by last week, and when he was out there in that qualifier. When he, you know, he had to come from the back because of a, a wreck. Yeah. And then when he took the checkered flag, Chris, he actually looked ahead of him and counted physically. I watched his hand go point, 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 point. Yeah. And then he went like, the, uh, you know, a fist pump, and he knew he made the main event. That's how much it means to these guys to oh, make yeah. the Grand National main event. Yeah, it was pretty cool that he uh, he ended up being a storyline, man. We had him on the show last week, and look, he, he ended up making his making that main event with a crazy and, finish. And we talked to him, you know, and we said, hey, when you get your first top five, your first podium finish, we might have you on as a full-time, as a, as a whole episode. And yeah. He was running up there and he actually hit that front straightaway wall and went down i couldn't see from where i was at that it was kind of downhill from there but people were there watching they were standing up everywhere they yeah. were really into it they saw one hell of a race um and, and got to really see what flat track's all about at the flat track venue um so yeah no it's pretty cool be interesting to see what changes they make for next year um we're going back there right that's 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 for sure would, we don't I know would assume so i don't think they'd spend that much money to build a facility like that you know they built built an announcer booth they built you know the fences around the outside i think it's got a permanent fixture there now i've heard they're going to run legends cars there nice maybe some go-karts and stuff like that too so i'm assuming we're going to go back there next year i don't know if it'll be the same week i think during laconia bike week is a, a good fit yeah just like we go to daytona bike week and sturgis bike week so that's that's always a good thing if you got that many motorcycle enthusiasts if you can get them to come on over and check out american flat track i think it's a good thing absolutely and and you know the the event right before lima i think it's a good lead in to get everybody ready and get the riders ready for what for what is uh that that half mile there in uh in lima ohio and just thinking about that too we had a weekend off in between laconia and Lima. Yep. So maybe next year they throw the Oklahoma City race right in there. So hmm. you'll have three loose tracks in a row, maybe. Hmm. Foreshadowing. The plot, the plot thickens. <laughs> so we did get some comments on our uh, Facebook page and our social media. People were asking what happened to Sammy Halbert, yeah. what happened to Jared Me. So yep. Sammy manned up and he said, hey, when I got off the bike and I was repositioning it, he hit the kill switch. Well, when you're that far out, there is a new rule. There's no two-minute rule. You don't have time for a mechanic to run over there. So Sammy took off pushing, and it's just hard to start those bikes because you need something, a really solid you know, surface to get that back wheel to hit the ground and turn the motor over. With that loose dirt, it couldn't happen. And then one of the other restarts, Jared Meese, uh, all he said on his social was that that bike stalled. So we tried to we tried to find out exactly what happened, and that's all we've found out so far. But you know, stalling his bike out there, I had one suggestion or one thing that might help out is if maybe if American Flat Track would have a starter out there. But if you do that, and what happens if the starter breaks? Then it's fair for one person, yeah. not fair for somebody else. So yep. you might, you almost have to have two. It's just some one, one other thing to think about, but. Um, I, I would feel bad if I was a Sammy Halbert fan or a Jared Meese fan and they were in the race, but yes. then all of a sudden they're out of the race. So I see I see a lot of it. I you know, they got rid of the, they did the two minute rule, they got rid of it to speed the show up. Yep. And I'm glad they did, 
but I feel bad for Jared and Sammy. I mean, you always want to see everybody compete, right? And it, they weren't just in the race. They were contending all all day. Uh, Sammy was running up front, and I think he, he potentially was going to be on the podium, if not winning the damn thing. Like, you know he's not afraid to throw throw that bike in anywhere and elbow people out of the way. So, um, unfortunate for him, you know, I, I would have loved to see him get a, get a crack at that track and see how he would have run. But, you know, hey, everything happens like it happens. And, you know, it, it's it's the it's the one who survives all that, right? Everybody had to go through the same thing with the, you know, the starting pylon. They couldn't see that turning. That that was that was an issue for everybody. The track was rough for everybody. Um, and, you know, that's that's really essentially what it boils down to week in and week out um, when we go to these races is who can survive the day and cross that finish line before everybody else. Absolutely. So I want to move off of Laconia just for a second. Okay. Joe Cop finally got beat for the he first did. time in 2019. No longer undefeated. But he got second, so he's still leading the point standings. <laughs> Andy Debrino took the win on the number one bike in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is a bummer because I really wanted to go check out that big event. So it looked like a lot of fun. Spurs Williams always putting on a good event. I was watching all the social media, like, you know, all the content, all the videos from that. Well, Uncle Ronnie was there. Did you see him on the two-stroke? Just wee, wee, wee. Yeah. He was yeah. funny as yeah. hell. That was good stuff. Yeah. He's a, he's a crazy dude. Also, Danny Essick was riding, and I heard he, he uh, had some mechanical issues on three different motorcycles, so he is hard on equipment. I'm not <laughs> sure if it was the bikes or if it was, it was Danny, but, uh, man, there was a lot of people there checking things out, and I think that's only good for our sport, too, because, you know, it's still flat track. Maybe some people will cross over. You know, you just never know. So I like what's going on with the Super Hooligan Series. Yeah, I love what they're doing. They're they're definitely outside the box with a lot of the stuff they do, but that's, I mean, that's like you said, that's how you find new cool stuff, and, you know, that's how you find new new fans and bring people in so love what they're doing with their series and uh i love following their season as well and i have to say i'm gonna go back to laconia now because i'm kind of that's where i'm going <laughs> bouncing off the walls but back and forth uh, i kind of called out mikey rush winning the singles class you might have said on, that yeah. I, I you know i i said he had a good shot because he's very good on a 450 he's very good on a short tracks he's won daytona before so i do recall saying that so not only not, on, not only that but you uh got your second bauman prediction in there we'll, we'll we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk to one of our guests today but uh you're becoming a little nostradamus nostradamus of flat track that's a big that's a that's a big word you maybe know, I'm still from oklahoma maybe more nostradamus i'll take that one no i'm kidding i'm kidding okay. you know your flat track so, though you can't deny that yeah. yeah well i've been going to this for a long time i've done i just looked at my notes i've done 186 grand nationals in a row okay that's, that's pretty crazy. badass actually yeah you're gonna have to next week we'll wait till next week till we're uh, previewing lima but you gotta you gotta let me know who your picks are there that's always a tough oh. one to pick though well, that's a crapshoot. I'm going to have to really think about it. So uh, yeah. give me give me a week to let me mull that over. What are you talking about? Last week, no. last week's weekend's race was an equalizer, if there ever was one, and you picked both winners. What are you talking about? Well, that's, that's, that's all right. I still got to th- I got to think about it. I got to get in touch with Nostradamus and, <laughs> and figure out who's going to win. So. You got a week. Not... You got a week to ponder. Okay. All right. Thanks. Uh, so this week, so, man, it, it's not your typical episode. We usually have one guy, one guy or gal or somebody in the community that we talk to and kind of that's the episode. Uh, we got two guests, or actually three guests total, but uh, we definitely wanted to talk to Bronson Bauman after the win, so we'll chat with him in a bit. Um, and then there's a, there's an event that happens every year that you've been part of the last few years. I think it's pretty damn cool, so I want to find out more about it because it's coming up here right around the corner, and that's the Barbara Fritchie Classic in Frederick, Maryland, right? 
Yep, Frederick, Maryland at the Frederick County Fairgrounds. It's a really cool event. It's been happening for 90, this is to be the 98th annual running of this race. That's so just insane. it's crazy. Um, Richard Riley, his son is Brent Riley, who designed our logos and stuff like that. But I want to catch up with both of them, those two guys. And their goal when they got involved in it is they want to make it to 100. So we're really close. Uh, they've got with Steve Nace. Uh, Steve Nace is the one who hires me for this event because I do most of his races as well. And uh, they said they're, they're trying to get to 100 and see what happens. So I can't wait to talk to those two guys. Super cool, man. Um, anything else before we get into these interviews that you want to kind of touch on or what's going on? Well, a couple of things. So oh I usually have the flat track fact, and we usually do that at the very end of the episode. You get you get to hit him with it in the intro? I'm going to hit him with it in the intro. I don't want to make you guys wait. So a couple of things. This is the sixth time ever in the history of you know, flat track Grand Nationals that brothers have gone one and two. Sixth time ever, and that's pretty cool. And then this is the first time. Last weekend was the very first time a national number 37 has won a Grand National flat track race. And I don't even think our guest knows that. So it's kind of a secret uh i did verify that with burt sumner and uh man history was made at laconia that's pretty badass i wonder how many different numbers maybe that's something you can ask burt at some point like how many different numbers haven't won a national number so that'd be pretty cool like if you're a young rider picking a number um i always cool to be the first like that's pretty cool that bronson was the first 37 off the top of your head who else rode 37 that you can think of well, Jimmy Wood did, and Jimmy yeah. Wood actually is a mechanic for Jared Meese, and okay. he actually podiumed with the number 37. I'm trying to think of who else there might be. You're going to get like a flurry of messages and comments. I wrote 37. Well, there was there hasn't been a lot of great yeah. big names. So Jimmy Wood had it for quite a while. J.P. Simonson, I remember he had it for a while. Um, gotcha. There's just not a lot of great big names that ever had that national number. It's ha- It's been in quite a few different people's hands. It's just not a common number to me, I guess. I don't know. That's part of the reason why uh, Bronson runs it, because his friend Jimmy Wood had it. Super cool. Well, there's definitely a strong rider on the 37 now. And uh, if last weekend didn't prove it, I don't know what's going to prove it. Because uh, he's had a pretty solid season. I mean, you think about where he was when we talked to him for his episode. And we'll get into that a bit, I think. But it, it's night and day and, you know he's 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 running a factory ride um finding success a lot of top tens this year and and first national grand national win and you know what that that means to me is don't ever give up on your dream you know if things aren't going well you might just take a step back you might have to sit out a grand national <laughs> and regroup and you never know what's going to happen so uh bronson sure has proved that yeah, be good to, good to see what he does uh, in Lima next weekend. The rest of the season, you know. Um, well, so do you want to talk to Bronson first? Or do you want to call up the ride? Let's say, let's call up Bronson first. Let's call up Bronson and okay. uh, see what he's up to. Absolutely. forwarded to oh. an automatic voice message system. The winner of the Laconia Short Track is not available. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you, you may something? hang up or press 1 for more options. Hey, Bronson, are you screening your calls now that you want a national? Um, give me a call back. Am I nobody now? It's Hollywood. Later. They went straight to voicemail, I said, so we'll call back. Gotcha. Um, hold on. Where are you at? I'm right here. I'm right you. here. I don't see you. I'm Oklahoma City. Loud and proud. Dialing. Call him. Hello? 
What's up, Brombo? Uh, not much, man. Uh, driving down to our parents. So you're headed to Illinois? No, I'm in Illinois, just heading to southern Illinois. Oh, I got you. I just didn't know where you were. I didn't know if you are still celebrating up in New Hampshire and just, uh, you know, buying lobster and crab meat and all that stuff up there. <laughs> no. Um, funny story is actually after that, we went to Applebee's for dinner. Yeah. And, yeah, didn't go to bed because I had a 6 a.m. flight. The flight was out of Boston, so that was about, I'd say, an hour and a half away from the track. So parents went to uh, bed for a little bit, and next thing you know, it was 3 a.m., and we uh, took off for the airport, so I really didn't get to sleep much that night. And it wasn't in the partying fun way either. Well, you have to save that and do that another time. So did your dad have to buy a car? I talked to him after the races, and the, the trophies were these great big guns, and it looked like you guys had a couple of them. So your dad said he's going to have to buy a car to drive home. Yeah, no. Uh, luckily enough, my brother finished behind me for once, so we were able to send all the trophies home with uh, Shane and the KTN hauler. So it was really hard for me to let it go, but I'll get to see it again in Lima, so makes up for it. So you don't even have possession of the trophy. You just won your first national. I, that is 100 percent correct. Yeah, oh I don't have possession gosh. of it. I know. I'm. Well, I, uh, I, I need to call up on her and check on it. Yeah, you better because your brother might sell it or something. You know. No, I figured he'd uh, just trade. He'd bring the second place one to Lima for me. Oh yeah, that sounds like. Now. That sounds like your favorite brother. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Well, I hate to say this, but I told you so. I mean, I walked by you uh, Saturday morning, and I told you today's your day, and you're going to do it. And I rubbed the back of your head because you just had a fresh haircut. And uh, I told you. I told you you're going to win. You did. And honestly, like, I, I won't lie, but I don't like that people telling me, oh, yeah, today's your day, because it honestly gets me hyped up, which is good. But when it's not that day, it's a huge letdown, and sometimes – I'm kind of superstitious, so sometimes it's like, oh, well, he told me it was my day, and, you know, that, that's just bad juju and kind of my thought process on it. So it scared me a little bit, but uh, I appreciate it, Scotty. I, I got and, you. Uh, well, well, no problem. You know, I won't tell you it's going to be your first day to win your first national ever again, so that we got that taken care of. So tell me, uh, you know, I'm, I got to walk on eggshells, but, you know, from where I was at, the track looked pretty rough. As the winner of the race, tell me about the track. For one, it was really awesome for what it was. You know, they built the track this year. The dirt didn't really have a whole lot of time to settle, but in my personal opinion, it was rough. It really was, but it wasn't an unsafe, rough track to say just because there's so much moisture in the ground, and if you made a mistake with the rough bumps, you're actually able to move around on the racetrack. So it's honestly safer than a lot of tracks we've raced on just because you know, it wasn't one line. We were able to move around on it. Yeah, it, it got gnarly towards the end of the race just with uh, the braking bumps, the acceleration bumps, the ruts, the berms, just everything. It, it was a, uh, it was almost like a miniature lineup, just how gnarly and rough and physically demanding it, it, it was. I got you. Well, it was equal and equally rough for everyone. So, uh, you know, my hat's off to you. So, Let's start at the beginning and talk me through that day. Tell me about how it unraveled for you. Just walk me through it. Well, uh, you know, beginning of the day, just first practice, I was fourth quickest. I was happy with where we were at for how I felt on the motorcycle. I didn't feel that great. And, uh, we went off into second qualifying. We dropped at times. I think it was we were in the top ten, but 
just, I wanted to go up just like everyone does. You always want to be fast every time. It doesn't always work out that way, but uh, ended up qualifying eighth overall and still wasn't super happy with the bike. And Dave and I are starting to get that chemistry that him and my brother have. And I told him what I was feeling and what I thought and what I wanted to try and, uh, you know, go out for the semi and it, uh, everything was working good. I, Actually, I think I passed most people on the track just because uh, I, you know, fought my way forward. Then I fell back for a minute and worked my way back forward. And uh, it was at that moment I knew I was, you know, pretty quick that day, and I felt really good on the motorcycle. And all I needed to do in the main event was, for once in my life, get a good start. You know, the main event was brutal with having to do that four times. Get, you know, three restarts was uh, kind of mentally draining for me. Just never been in the position of actually leading the national for more than a couple corners like I did in Daytona. It was, it was rough on me. I mean, honestly, I was almost breaking down a little bit mentally on the red flags. You know, I was asking myself why maybe really how it's going to happen. You know, um, I never knew how big of a gap I had before one of the last restarts, but I felt comfortable and I didn't hear anyone right on my tail. And of course, red flag had to come out. It was the second red flag and it was really uh, disappointing. So the main event was uh, rough in that aspect, but physically I felt great on the bike and it, the bike was working great. Dave, Dave nailed the setup for me. And uh, that was probably the best part about it was Dave and I finally clicked and I was able to do whatever I wanted with the bike. And, you know, at times I felt like I wasn't even riding. I was just kind of gassing down straightaways, going slow through the corners, trying to hit the hit my marks and not kill myself over the ruts and bumps and everything. Just it was one of the tracks where going slower to go faster really came into play, especially for me. And uh, at one point in time, I, I felt like I had a decent gap on people. And uh, it was just awesome in all honesty right on so with all those red flags and and they set you out there on the back straightaway you could look at the big screen and and they were doing some replays and i know you you guys were listening to, to brad baker and myself talk but what, what what was going on back there what were you guys talking about were you trying to just stay focused on the race talking with dave were you talking to your brother um i know you, you guys are first and second but what was what was everybody talking about back there on the back straightaway during those red flag breaks uh, during the first one, you know, um, just uh, I was making sure the bike was okay. Uh, it was smoking a little bit, but nothing, you know, to cause harm to the motorcycle itself. So uh, the second one, I was, you know, questioning why is this happening, but um, asking where I was at on the racetrack compared to others, what other people were doing, if they were going to pass me, you know, who was the fastest, and just trying to pick my mechanics and Daisy's brain just because uh there's always room for improvement. And on one of the first restarts, Brian actually asked me what I did off the you know, first start because apparently he struggled off it is the only thing I can imagine. And uh, by the last restart, it was more so Briar yelling at me to calm down, and <laughs> I got this pretty much. So it was I was trembling, really. You know, five laps ago, Briar just passed me. He wants to win just as bad as I do, and you know, for him to be like, relax, you're fine, you got this. It was uh, actually really calming, even though he said it so stern, some people would be scared of it, but uh, it was actually really comforting just to 
you know, like my brother, one of the fastest guys this season is telling me I got this. It is really awesome. Man, that's cool to have your brother in your corner. And, you know, a lot of people have never been in that position before, leading a national and then having all those red flags come out. So it's really cool to see that you pulled it off. And, and you know what? You had the whole flat track community cheering for you. I, I saw a lot of people, you know, would stop and, and congratulate you. And, and when I saw you after the races in the pit area, it was it was a few minutes before I could even get close to you to tell you congratulations. So, man, what a cool feeling. Yeah, it definitely is, you know, uh, just – Everyone, you know, rushing in to say congratulations is awesome. It just shows how big of a family sport this really is. Everyone wants everyone to excel. And, of course, there's only be one winner at the end of the day, but majority of the time everyone's happy for who wins just because we all love each other. It's a love-hate relationship with everyone. It's like, man, he won today again, or he won, but good good on him, basically. And... uh it is huge, and you know I've never, never experienced anything like it. There are so many people just so supportive of that day and how I rode. And uh, yeah, after the race, it, you're standing there. I'm sorry about it. you standing there. It wasn't. Uh, it was talking to I believe Dave Honing uh, was in his uh, post-race interview with me, and uh, it's just awesome to have that feeling of all the love and support and. and to have the satisfaction of all the hard work and dedication to finally pay off. Absolutely. I would have waited an hour just to talk to you. Congratulate you. So um, we had you on the, the podcast about a year ago, and a lot has changed since then. You actually sat out the Red Mile last year. Uh, you filled in on the on the factory Indian team for, it seemed like, for a little while. You finished first and second with Breyer winning there in Pennsylvania. And then in the offseason, you got the call or got the nod to move on and be the full-time factory Indian rider. So how how can you put in perspective all these changes have happened? It seemed like very fast for me, but, I mean, tell me about all these changes and, and how good it's working right now. It's working amazing, for one. But, yeah, last year was kind of rough um started off the season with bill warner and just things weren't clicking and uh we parted ways and i knew it was the best decision for me of course not knowing i was going to be a fill-in rider ever and uh, i went to a couple races had a mechanical and uh had two of them finished respectable and another one actually was in the main events and that was just huge for me and you know, I got the call to fill in for Brad, which was awesome. It was supposed to be a one-race deal, and it worked into the rest of the season, which was awesome. And, uh, you know, to move forward to Williams Grove and go one-two with my brother, it was unbelievable. And it was during that time, actually, uh, my girlfriend's dad, Dan, told me, he's like, factory team finished one-two and three at Williams Grove. That's that's who's going to be on the factory team in 2019. And I'm I'm a firm believer in don't count your chickens before they hatch type. And uh, I was like, no, it's not. You know, there's multiple other deserving riders out there. And, you know, I had a couple of good races. I finished, I believe, 15th or 16th in the points. And, you know, that's got to play factor. So I was honestly kind of doubtful. And at the end of the season, you know, uh, not sure if it was Thanksgiving time or when, but I, um, I, I knew I was in Pennsylvania and I got the phone call and, you know, it was, it was amazing. So to move into this year, the off season of this year, 
knowing I was going to be a factory Indian rider, I put everything I had into this and uh, not having to work on bikes or the stress of bikes being on track, anything in that aspect was a huge relief. So I uh, just focused on what I had to do and that's, you know, be the best I can be. And uh, I, it's really starting to pay off now. Absolutely. I'd say so. You know, just some highlights of this season. You got a fifth of Daytona, sixth in Arizona, sixth in uh, so- SoCal. You're the fast qualifier for the main event. You know, seventh at the Red Mile, of course, the win at Laconia. You're sitting fourth in the point standing. So uh, you mentioned earlier that the, the short track we just won at is kind of similar to where we're going, which is Lima. So um, I've always been told from everybody I've ever talked to, whenever you win your first national, the next one comes easier. So how confident and how excited are you for Lima? Uh, yeah, I've heard the exact same thing. The first win's always the hardest, and they always come easier after that. Um, it's, uh, it's a huge confidence booster going into Lima, just considering I won this fast race. I, I beat the best there was, which is awesome. And uh, Lima does get rough and gnarly, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, there's still a lot of great races out there. My brother, he's a man on a mission right now. Jared Meese is always running up front. You got Henry Wallace and Jeffrey Carver who are always, you know, right there for the podium contention at Lima. So it's it's going it's never a walk in the park in our sport with the competition we have. So I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, I'm not expecting anything. I never try and peg a race for. I'm going to win this or I'm going to do this here. I'm just going to try and keep my consistency up, you know, trying to uh, try and chip away at, you know, the points difference between uh, third and fourth right now. I'm 20 points behind uh, Jared Meese in fourth. Or Jared Meese in third, I'm in fourth. So just I'm going to keep grinding it out like I have been and uh, appreciate everything along the way. And that is crazy. I just... I love your attitude. I love where you're going. Are there any other races you're really looking forward to at the end, to, you know, at the end of the season or the middle of the season, or what? You know, what's the next race you're really looking forward to? Honestly, I love all tracks differently. Um, looking forward to getting back at Sturgis Half Mile. I uh, made a couple of rookie mistakes there last year. I felt like I was pretty quick. I feel like the bike I'm riding, I'm even more comfortable on now than last year. So I'm looking forward to that one, but. Uh, to be honest, I'm really looking forward to Minnesota Mile and Netherlands. I feel like those two kind of owe me, owe me one after having a couple of mechanicals last year there. So um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to those two just because uh, it's a, they're wide open, fast, cushion miles. Or I mean, my brother held it wide open for 24 and a quarter laps or so, and uh, it, it, those are fun tracks to me. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to those. And, trying to get a little redemption there well i got one more for you so first and second you took the first your brother took second probably the best father's day your dad could ever have so how are you going to top it what are you going to do next year and i'm always kind of a low state expectations type of guy you know that way they aren't expecting <laughs> anything the next couple of years even ask my girlfriend alex that she she understands it fully so um it's going to be really hard to top that one, but hopefully we can just keep doing it, you know, uh, keep the one and two streak alive. And it, it's going to be really hard, but hopefully we can pull something out of our hats. Dude, I'm so happy for you. I'm proud of you. 
And I can't wait to see you in Lima, man. Congratulations on the big win, and thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Scotty, and uh, thanks for having me on. Always good to talk to Brombo. Absolutely. It was cool that you know, we got to check in. We've had him on before, so we didn't want to take a full episode, but uh, good to check in with a first-time Grand National winner. I think that's awesome. You think he goes back-to-back and wins Lima? I said I got to think about things before I give you my <laughs> predictions, but he's right. got as good opportunities as anybody. I, and like he said, I mean, that, that Laconia was like a mini Lima. So, I mean, he's uh, he's proven that he can ride that, that rough uh, that rough track. It really wasn't a cushion in Laconia, but, um, but it will be in Lima, right? Laconia was kind of a cushion, kind of just more of loose dirt, but uh, very different surface for sure. Uh, somebody tried comparing it to the Daytona short track. So very similar, just completely, you know, different colored dirt. It was very sandy. I think that's what Daytona was special about. It had some sand in it too. But uh, man, what are we going to do next? So let's talk to those Riley boys about this Barbara Fritchie classic. You, uh, you said this is the 98th running this year. It sure is, man. They've been running this a long time. I don't know all the history. Richard does. He knows it, you know, on the back of his hand, and he actually recites a poem during, you know, some of our break times, and it, it's just such a cool event. It's a lot of fun. Well, I can't wait to hear what this poem is about or what that's all about. You want to give him a call? Call him up. Okay. Hello, this is Brent. Brent, Scotty Dubler, Chris Carter here. What's up? Uh- how you doing, guys? Nothing much. Just uh, heading to a soccer game, actually. I got a game at 8. Are you going to win? I'm going to try not to get hurt. Okay, so you are playing. I thought it's one of your kids or something, but you're really playing? Yeah, no, I play Monday nights. I play 30-plus league, and uh, I kiss my kids on the weekend. They, they play soccer also. Right on. That's cool. Carter, are you going to say uh, anything? Or you're just going to sit there. I'm just going to sit here. What's up, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> what? When's the last time I saw you? Was it last year at the race? Yeah, yeah, last time at the Barbara Fritchie. Yeah, I haven't done, I haven't done anything. I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't done anything. I was supposed to go to Daytona, but um, yeah. We'll dial, uh, dial pops here and get started here in a second. Hold on, let me dial him in here. I, I hope he doesn't answer. I want to hear the damn voicemail now. Should <laughs> <laughs> so he just do everything through Skype? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. we we look at each other through Skype, and then he can send me notes if we need to, add, you know, add a add a follow up right. question or if he thinks of something. Yeah. So that's how we communicate, and then we just call up whoever whoever our guest right. is. I'm glad you called, but we miss you. Please leave your number. Maybe we didn't miss you. Hello. What's up, Daddy? Oh. <laughs> 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 you messing with me, boy? I thought I thought it was a voicemail. I told them if they called the home number that it was. A... Yeah, we're just waiting to listen to the whole voicemail, and then uh, then all of a sudden you start talking. Yeah, well, you know, I I thought you were going to call on the cell phone, and right. so I'm standing in the back room listening for the cell phone, and I hear the house phone, which has not worked for 30 days, but I seldom use it, so it didn't make any difference. But. Uh, yeah, the reality is I'm lost and confused, but I've been found. Well, good. We're, we're glad you found us. Yeah, doodly do. Richard, how are you doing? Very, very well, thank you. Uh, healthy, happy, and uh, just a little somewhat discouraged over uh, Mr. Dalton Winkler's uh, highs and lows the other night. Uh, yeah, that's that's horrible. I mean, he, a week after he got married, he ends up touching the ground a couple times in the same spot, and he got he got beat up pretty good, it sounds like. 
Yes, yeah, yes, he did. He uh, probably the worst of it, I guess, is the punctured lung and having it torn from the uh, rib cage, three broken ribs, a uh, couple of vertebrae, and a shattered collarbone. But yeah. maybe you get it all out of the way. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't sound like very much fun. But good thing is he can, you know, hopefully it all heal all at once and it just be, you know, down for just a little while. But uh, man, that does not sound like fun. No, no, not at all. But. Uh, you know, he, he he will revel in the fact that he'll have a national number. I think that'll be the key. As with most of these guys, they look at the highs, very seldom look at the lows. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was so happy for him making his first main event. I know it's a, a hard thing to do, and, and some people take that for granted, you know, making a main event every week, you know, week after week. And when somebody makes their first one, it sure is a special day. It definitely is, and he's been trying hard, and he's come so close. Uh, when he first, uh, I guess he got a, his first podium in Springfield about four or five years ago, uh, I want to say uh, on a single, but uh, uh, I don't, he was very, very much uh, enthused about that. You take away the best that you can, and uh, from the grassroots, uh, short tracks, uh, trailways, speedway, right through uh, you know the nationals at uh, Springfield, uh, always a smile on his face, always working hard. A lot of letdowns, mechanicals. Uh, uh, the amateurs get plagued with that sort of thing, and that's probably uh, the way it's going to be through life. We learn a lot uh, from our failures and uh, a little bit from our successes. Absolutely. On the phone, we've got Richard Riley, who is the owner of Fredericktown Yamaha, and Brent Riley, who is the owner of Access Media Labs, and they've got a huge race coming up, and that is the Barbara Fritchie Classic going on on the 4th of July. So let's just jump into it. Let's back way up. So, Richard, how did you get into motorcycles? How did I get into motorcycles? My mom told me I'd never own one. A very good friend <laughs> of mine uh, gave me a ride on an old Indian. It was one of the twins that was made just before uh, Indian motorcycles went out of business about 1953. And I got hooked on that, and that was between my junior and senior year. But uh, while I was in the Navy, I got an opportunity. I was on a very small ship. I was in Barcelona, Spain. Uh, had a liberty uh, time there, and so I went to an automotive and motorcycle show, and I came home with a little Boltaco uh, street bike, and uh, that was... Uh, 1966, got out of the Navy, went to work for a motorcycle shop in uh, Springfield, Virginia, and the rest is history. Wow. When did you start Fredericktown Yamaha, or when did you take over that shop? I don't, I don't know the whole story there. Uh, it was originally called Yamaha Frederick. I changed the name to protect the innocent. I probably shouldn't have called it Fredericktown Yamaha because it's a whole bunch of letters, and it takes people <laughs> a while to relate to it. And Fredericktown was the original name for Frederick, Maryland, back during wow. the Revolutionary days. And okay. it goes back to the Articles of Confederation and prior to uh, 1776. So hey. Fredericktown, with no E on the end of it, uh, seemed appropriate at the time. So uh, I bought that in uh, September of uh, 1975. Hardly a man still alive that remembers that date and time. But uh, it's significant for me. That's amazing. So, Brent, you're the owner of Access Media Labs. You actually have designed our logo for Off the Groove. And you actually, one day I was doing the race, I think it was the Texas Half Mile, and you sent me a message on Instagram, and you came up with the logo that I use for my own personal stickers, and you, you make our stickers for us. So uh, tell us about how you got involved in, in doing what you do, kind of the creative side of things. 
I don't know actually how it fit. I think it started with the Corey Strickler needed some uh, a jersey designed or something. So I designed something for him. That then moved into uh, doing other stuff for guys like uh, Sammy asked to help him out with his website. And uh, I did some designs for him. Went to school for graphic design. And uh, the nice thing about the flat track community is that it's, it let me do what I wanted to do. The guys are, like, super picky with what designs they want. And... Um, really let me create what I want to create. On top of that, just doing doing all the stuff I can for the Barbara Fritchie as far as the posters and, and T-shirts, knowing that's a need and something I can offer. Right on. So, Richard, what is it about Flat Track that's got you so deeply hooked? I know you've sponsored a lot of racers. The, the one that always comes to mind is you sponsored Sammy Halbert, and as far as I know, you still do for quite some time. So why Flat Track? Well, we've had a relationship with Sammy since 2008, but why flat track? You know, when I was down in Virginia, I had some friends that used to race flat track down at Green's Raceway in Desputanta, Virginia. Mr. Hacker will remember a lot of that, but... uh, just kind of enjoyed it because the day went quickly. Uh, you, you could go down, you had a lot of action, it was bar banging, but probably the most important part is you got to see young kids growing up, doing what they wanted to do. There was a passion about it that I didn't find in anything else. And uh, that's what kind of stuck with me. And uh, over the years, where fortunately we've been blessed to work with a lot of people. When I first moved up to Fred Maryland, there was a young man in town that had gotten run over by a car, damn near killed, and uh, he had been a great flat tracker as a real young man, a boy by the name of Donald K. Smith. We took him up in 1977. I got uh, a couple of Yamaha 252-stroke motors and uh, sent him down to E.C. Burt, and uh, he built these things up, and uh, we went racing in uh, District 7, District 6 area. We're running just about the same time, actually exactly the same time as a young fellow by the name of Rodney Ferris, national number 92. He wasn't then. And uh, Taylor White. Uh, Donnie would run with those guys. And uh, I just wasn't much of a tuner at that stage of the game. We'd seize up every once in a while. But my real claim to fame is our first hot shoe race out was held in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania. And we had 110 novices vying for I think it was 16 spots on the line for the uh, main event. We ended up winning that race, and uh, the motor had started to seize a couple of times, but Donnie was well aware. He'd back off just a little bit. He continued for the win, and after that, that was a glorious high. A lot of hard work, a lot of question as to whether, one, we'd make it into the main, or two, we'd finish. And it was only a 10-lap main, thank goodness, because it started to seize in lap eight. But, uh, you know, it was just the the emotion that was involved in that, and... uh, that lit the fire, and I've just been working with people ever since. I never got a chance to race myself. I had my whole life invested in the motorcycle business. But uh, just to see uh, these people take the bull by the horns, work hard, get some results, some of them better than others. Uh, but the personalities, the families, just the dedication that you see. Some people spend every dime they have just chasing the dream. And uh, by golly, if you don't have dreams, what do you got? So uh, that's uh, 
pretty much uh, getting involved with it. Uh, Rusty Rogers added a flair, got a chance to work with Rusty a little bit, and uh, that was my first big pro guy. And then Paul Lynch, and Paul and I still work together. We uh, helped Sammy with the, the indoor uh, concrete races at uh, Timonium. Uh, Paul's dad, Mike Lynch, uh, is trying to work on uh, trying to locate a Harley for Sammy so he can ride the Barbara Fritchie. The uh, oh, Harley Davidson awesome. boys don't mind him going out and, and riding a little bit, but he's got to be on an HD. And at this stage of the game, some of the XRs are, are drying up and not everybody will let you run them. So whether we'll make that happen or not, I can't guarantee it, but it's certainly uh, something we're working uh, towards at the present time. We got a, a chance uh, to uh, help Mr. Eads out of Richmond, Virginia. He rode one of our machines for a while. He was a little better on the 750s than he was on the 450, but uh, Tim was uh, a great guy and uh, just uh, a lot of good people. And those are some big names that I remember racing against some of those guys you're talking about. And I miss those guys being at the racetrack. I still text back and forth with Tim Eads a lot. So uh, let's go ahead and start and talk about why we gave you a call because we got a big race coming up on the 4th of July. It's the Barbara Fitchie Classic. It's the oldest running dirt track race in America. It's the 98th running this July 4th. So who started this event way back in the day? Do you know the history of that, Richard? Uh, yes, I know bits and pieces, and I'm discovering more as we go. So a gentleman by the name of J. Paul Delphi. He started a Harley-Davidson dealership probably, I want to say, 1906, 1907. And in 1921, he apparently decided he was going to get into the promotion business. And as we have known for a number of years, in 1922, he ran his first race at the Frederick Fairgrounds, the very same racetrack, not unlike the shape originally, has uh, worked it through the early 1950s. So Jay Paul ended up passing away, and uh, and his son Julian what, didn't have the passion that Jay Paul did, uh, but they had a uh, kind of a civic-minded program in the Lions Club. Frederick Lions Club took over production of the race in the early 50s, and uh, they carried it through uh, to 2006. Now, when I moved to Frederick in 75, being a fan, and one of the reasons why I was in Frederick, I had been to the Barbara Fritchie Classic in 1968. Uh, you know, it just made me feel good. I was at home and uh, uh, hopped in and worked with it. So I've been at the Barbara Fritchie Classic involved in one way or another since 1967. Excuse me. Yeah, let's back up and, and redo this. I've been involved with the Barbara Fritchie Classic since 1977. And uh, it, uh, the Lions Club uh, gave a tremendous amount of money to the charities throughout Frederick, and it was really uh, a mainstay for a long time. But as things changed and evolved, uh, they got to the point where they weren't making money at it, and they gave it up. And uh, I talked to a uh, local road construction guy, Tommy Klein, and RF Klein Construction had helped with track preparation from the very early 50s uh, with the Lions Club. And uh, Richard Klein uh, told his, uh, his grandson, you're running this, uh, this operation, and if you can ever be a help for the Fritchie, please do it. Tommy uh, took up the gauntlet and ran it until uh, 2014, and uh, 
his company uh, went bankrupt then, and he had to give it up. And so with my particular passion for the thing, I went out and took a uh, uh, home equity loan for uh, a number of dollars and uh, said to myself, I'm going to get this baby to 100. It's worth the tradition. Uh, it's so well-founded that uh, it's got to be around. And we've been very fortunate to get the tremendous help from the local community, uh, Dutro's Honda, Harley-Davidson to Frederick, JT Motorsports, the Honda R&T Club, just uh, a whole myriad of people uh, that make this thing happen. So it's not just me. I get a tremendous amount of uh, effort out of uh, both my local boys, uh, Ian, who's running the store now, and Brent, who's his Access Media Lab. He's got more high-quality associates in motorcycle racing than I do. And, hell, I've been in the industry since 67. You know, he was only born into the store in 81, but he's been to every Barber Fritchie since 1981. So we're kind of uh, married into it, so to speak, or born into it in his case. Right. So, Brent, your main job, I guess, is to take care of the social media. You design the T-shirts, you do the programs um, and all that fun stuff because you got the creative genes, right? Yes, I think so. Hard work style, uh, creative style, definitely try to. Do that as much as I can to help out. Okay. And then at the race day, during the, during the day itself, do you get to help out? I know Richard's got a lot of people there already, but do you help your dad out race day too? Or are you in the fairgrounds? Do you get to enjoy the race? Do you get to watch it? Uh, last year I did get to watch it. I, I do want a T-shirt sale and try to do a bunch of social media posts, make a bunch of Snapchat filters. And last year was the first year I actually got to watch the race. We actually sold out of shirts halfway through. So, um, I actually got to watch the, the main events, and I actually got to watch uh, Corey uh, break down in turn two, come back around, and uh, get the win. So, um. All right. <laughs> I'll just have to do a better job this year and tell everybody where the T-shirts are at and hurry up and get them before they're gone so you can come watch more of the races. I've been I've been lucky enough That's to right. come to this race for about three or four years, maybe four or five. I've lost track. I, I, I do so many races, but it sure is a fun event. So, Richard, has it always been called the Barber Fritchie Classic? No. The original name for it, as I understand, was the Delphi Classic, named after J. Paul Delphi. Uh, the name changed to the Barbara Fritchie Classic, I believe, I don't have this in concrete, uh, was when the Lions Club took it over. And people often ask about why is Barbara Fritchie associated? Where does it fill in? Well, Barbara Fritchie was a hero, made a hero by John Greenleaf Whittier, who wrote the poem, Barbara Fritchie. And if you get a chance, uh, look it up. Or if you come to Frederick, Frederick I'll recite it for you uh, during a, uh, a lapse in the race, maybe when we're doing a little track prep. But uh, Barbara Fritchie was a hero during the Civil War, and uh, she's kind of a, a bad for the uh, the town of Frederick, and uh, it ties into the history and the dedication. She was dedicated to her country to hold that American flag up as the Confederates came uh, through on uh, Patrick Street. And uh, yeah, it's 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 history, it's tradition, it's what makes the Barbara Fritchie a, a very viable, very uh, necessary thing for us here in Frederick to get to a hundred. Well, it sure is fitting that it's on the 4th of July. It's my understanding it used to be on Memorial Day. So do you know when it moved over to the 4th of July? I've found additional information that the first race was actually held in 1921. 
and it's documented in the newspaper. It's but a brief article, and that article says that uh, there was a motorcycle race held in Frederick on November 11th, Armistice Day of 1921. I got that out of the archives from the Frederick, Frederick Fairgrounds that says wow. in August of 1921, J. Paul Delphi came, uh, came forward with a request to rent the track to run a motorcycle race on. And the uh, fair board members uh, agreed, and they said for $25 and any damages to the racetrack, <laughs> he could run his race on November 11th. And armistice was a big day because the war had just ended about, uh, what, four years? Or three years uh, prior to that, uh, and uh, people were very, very patriotic. So it ran on Armistice Day for a number of years. Late 20s or early 30s, it went to Memorial Day. And then in the 50s, when the Fritchie uh, was taken over by the Lions Club, it went to July 4th. Okay. That's perfect. And you guys, the race actually gets done. It's still kind of daylight out, so people have plenty of time to go watch the fireworks wherever they choose to, and I really like that about your event. Well, you know, it's a very uh, uh, historic town, and uh, the town takes their celebrations uh, very serious, uh, and they have a in-the-park event. We've got a very nice walking waterway that goes down through the center of town, so you can walk from the racetrack downtown. Uh, they bring in a couple of high-class country music acts for free down in the park, and then they have a great fireworks show in the evening, so it, it makes a full-day event for people people that love motorcycling, motorcycle racing, because they generally get to ride into the race, but also to take a part in the flavor and the many good restaurants uh, in downtown Frederick. Yes, sir. I love Mays myself. That's where I try to go to every year. I got to get some seafood when I'm out there. So, uh, Richard, when did you team up with Steve Nace, and how long has he been helping you run this race? You know, when uh, the uh, folks at uh, what we now call AFT, at that time it was, uh, we referred to them more as the NASCAR group, bought the rights to the uh, uh, Grand National Series, uh, Frederick had been on the Hot Shoe Series. You probably rode some of those uh, yes, out sir. west when you, when you were riding. So they yep. curtailed the Hot Shoe Series, and there was a void in there. And Steve Nace picked up the following year and uh, took that over. And if I'm going to guess at it, which I am, uh, probably 2008. So we've been involved with Steve, and what a class guy. You know, he has won the Promoter of the Year uh, for races a couple of years in a row. He and Kelly Bell just put on a great show. Uh, we've been able to witness that uh, out at Springfield uh, a couple of times now that AFT let him help with their uh, their singles races out there. So uh, a lot of people have gotten exposed to Steve Nace, but he is by far one of the more dedicated individuals in this motorcycle racing industry. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I try to announce as many of his races as I can, as long as my schedule, uh, it all works out. But uh, let's talk about the racetrack. It's at the Frederick County Fairgrounds. So uh, put into words and describe this racetrack for people that haven't been there. It's a half mile long, but it's a bit tricky. It's not a perfect oval. It is wider on the east end and narrower on the west end. And interestingly enough, we have kind of an overpass where there is a tunnel underneath the racetrack. So as you go between turn three and four, it gets very narrow. Uh, 
Jess Roeder, for many years, had a very hard time with turn number three and probably bought more hay bales than any other rider that I've known uh, <laughs> trying to get that thing turned going through three. But uh, when they get it turned and come out of four, they take it high, wide, and handsome, get up on the outside bales, and then come down the straightaway. About 95 miles an hour is where they're cracking, and then they have to throw it into turn number one. So that's on the east end, and it's a little wider going in, but it narrows very quickly. Dan Ingram got a piece of that fence about five or six years ago, uh, and uh, that was a sad state of affairs. Scared the heck out of me, but uh, it's a little dogleg between one and two. So you've got to make the turn, you've got to straighten up, and then make a very sharp turn coming out of two. You head down the back straightaway, and uh, the track has always been considered a little narrow, and that's why we've never been able to have a Grand National. At one point in time, they took our uh, 750 races away because they felt that it was way too fast. And what we had done was cleaned the track down and got it down to a hard groove. You could really see that black line. And it wasn't but about two and a half motorcycles wide. Uh, but they were rolling through there. As the tires get better, as the machines get more horsepower, the riders get better, uh, we were clicking off some serious speed, and uh, we were finding the fence quite often. So we ended up bringing the cushion back. And uh, Steve Nace has been fairly responsible for doing that very, very well for us, trying to keep a little moisture in the ground. That's always hard on the 4th of July. We tend to run between 89 and 95 degrees. We got a little wind coming out of the west, and uh, short for of uh, some rainy days, uh, she can dry out pretty quick. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, the reputation probably is a little narrower, which takes a very smart, calculated rider. So uh, you really have to refine your game when you come to Frederick. Richard, it felt like I just took a lap on an XR750 right there. You described that perfectly. I think I need to call you every week so you can tell me what to expect when we go to each of these tracks that maybe you have seen before. You know, watching these kids see how they do it, it's interested me. I've tried to study it. Uh, as you know, you and I have had a chance to announce back in, and forth, and I tend to be more of a color guy than a precise fella. But, uh, you know, the reality is that uh, – this is a technical game, and it's the guy that can stay focused and get it done is going to be the winner in most cases, bar mechanical failure. But I have a good time, and I seriously would love that. I uh, Probably some of the highlights in my life have been able to announce with you. We were up at York a couple of times. We did it here at Frederick a couple of times. And then I got a chance to go out to Ashland, but you weren't there, so I had to rely on uh, Chew of the Me and Chew family. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, my eyes are getting a little questionable. That's a fairly wide race track, and for the little guys, and I didn't know all the riders out there, Chu knew them all. So I put him on the binoculars, and actually he probably didn't need them. But uh, he fed me the information. We had the uh, conversation going and uh, had a very good time out there in Ashland. So, uh, yeah, I've been able to enjoy announcing motorcycle races for a number of years. I worked down at Bud's Creek. We did a little out motocross action down at Bud's and I announced the Fritchie since 1989, followed a couple of really good announcers, uh, a guy by the name of Jack Warren, who actually won yeah. the uh, won the Fritchie in boom, 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 
album in 1970, and he wow. was a Harley Davidson uh, road guy, and uh, he he was a very great announcer. And uh, then we then we uh, we got behind with Joe Kelly, and Joe is uh, a very interesting announcer out of Richmond, Virginia, uh, and he's done uh, a couple of the national events, did Hagerstown a numbers of times, and uh, he's the fellow that has remembered the uh, memorized the uh, racer's prayer. And uh, generally, when he does a race, he does that. And I kind of understudied him a little bit. And then, uh, you know, I, I steal some of the lines from the uh, Midwestern announcers. There, we we talk about the uh, what the tall drink of water, and uh, huh? you know, how do you like that half mile? <laughs> Donnie Bargeville, right we, there. We, yeah, yeah. We've had a chance to understudy some folks, so we try to bring a little flavor in the game. Sure couple more things on the track. As, as I'm up in the announcer's tower, it seems like they're going downhill, down the back straightaway, and then uphill on the front straightaway. Also, the track surface right now reminds me of a pea gravel or a shale gravel. Um, do you agree with both of those statements? Oh, yeah. Very, very much a pea gravel, and it's not horribly deep, although it can get a little rutted uh, in the corners. And yes, you're gaining speed going down, uh, down from east to west. Uh, I was over there uh, on Sunday, just looking at the place, seeing how the land laid, made sure all the uh, drags and everything were there. Uh, and uh, I'd say there's probably a uh, 40, maybe a 45 foot uh, difference in elevation from the east end to the uh, the the south end or west end excuse me and uh, of course that's where it tightens up so that's where the challenge comes in how fast can you go and how wide can you get as that uh, the apex of the turn between three and four closes in on you again very technical spot in the track Absolutely. So, uh, Richard, a couple more things. Uh, one thing I first noticed is when, when you cross the racetrack to go into the pit area, it's about halfway down the back straightaway. And as the day went on, both sides of where you cross the racetrack were completely full of motorcycles. And I'm not going to say that there are gang members there, but they were motorcycle <laughs> groups on each side where you cross the racetrack. Um, how did that start and how long has that been going on? Because there's been a ton of people on that back straightaway. You know, uh, we have some very good friends in the motorcycle industry. <laughs> some of them have uh, a better reputation than others. But as long as I can remember, local group, uh, East Coast specialists, uh, we call them the PMC. They call themselves the Pagans. But uh, they are really great, great fans. They have supported us even with the threat of rain. Uh, anywhere from 250 to uh, 350 riders come in every race day. We've seen them mature, and of course, down in, in turn number three, we have a nice covered canopy area, and and it's kind of, I find it humorous, and I think it's, and you can't, considering our, our, our crowd, I can't call it cute, but I did. They had requested clearing out that overhang so they could have their picnic down there, and they bring their uh, their hog in, and, and, and they barbecue it and everything. But the gentleman explained it to me, the president of the club. He said, you know, some of our riders are getting a little older, and spending a whole day in the sun really takes it out of them. 
I said, okay, I'll get this place cleaned out. And uh, we have some of these riders coming in. We got one fellow that has his cane strapped right to the front of his handlebars on his bike. Another fellow has his walker on the back of the motorcycle. And they can ride these babies in. But if they're going to get around the big racetrack area, they've got to have a little assistance. So we see that some of our fans are maturing. I got you. So a couple more questions. Where can we find out more information on how to get tickets, or is it just best to, to just to show up and go to the race on July the 4th? It's pretty much show up and go to the race on July the 4th. One okay. of the things when I was with the Lions Club, it was always considered a donation. And uh, if you had uh, a rain out, there was no refunds. So you were supporting the Lions Club through enjoying the motorcycle race. We had one year that there was a big uproar about getting their money back, and of course the Lions Club kind of took it on the chin uh, with the program, always trying to keep the uh, local uh, folks in mind, but realizing that we had uh, to take care of our supporters as well. So I've taken the philosophy that if the day is right, come in, spend your money, uh, we'll give you a full day's event and it'll be fun it'll be happy and it's turned out to be a very much a family day we're seeing more youngsters coming in and of course nationally we're seeing that too uh by watching aft up there in laconia i got a chance to view the stands uh that they have with the fans choice coverage and you're seeing more youngsters you're seeing more people in their 20s and 30s it's not just us gray-haired guys that have had a passion for this for years and years and years it's expanding nicely and we're starting to appreciate the competition, the effort that's put forth. And that's what's interesting about it. It's coming back. It's growing. There's a resurgence and a very much in the grassroots. I got a chance to announce mm-hmm. up at uh, Trailway Speedway. You did that one year at the Armin Hostetter uh, uh, Classic that they had, uh, I believe. And uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, one-third, they call it the fastest uh, third of a mile uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, we had a good time with it. But that was uh, the week before they went up to Lincolnia, and we had Dan Bromley show up uh, and uh, Colton Smith and a young man by the name of Max Whale. And uh, I tell you what, I think his time on that little short track and the fact that those guys stayed in the saddle helped them when they got up to Lincolnia. So the grassroots, the local tracks, uh, they're seeing some resurgence. I actually had some people in the stands, so as I announced that, I really thought somebody was listening. Uh, there have been some years you wonder, uh, always the dedication of the racers. And in the, uh, the trailway program, everybody can get in the pits, and everybody wants to be near the action. They don't really want to be in the stands. But we actually had fans in the stands, and that's a very good sign as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. I think the attendance is growing. We're getting on national TV. And that actually brings me to my next uh, my next and final question. Uh, I think last year we were we broadcasted your event onto a radio station, but I think someone was streaming the event as well. I know Mia and Chu come up there and, and do some social media for you, but is this event going to be streamed somewhere where people that can't make it to the Barber Fitch, you can watch it online? Yes. Now, I have a local fella that does a lot of taping, and he puts together a package after the race. But my friend Michael Betteridge owns WTHU. It's a small religious channel in Thurmont, Maryland. But with the Internet, he streams live. And actually, since 19... Nah, 2012. Can't use 19 anymore. (laughs) 
he's he's been streaming this. Matter of fact, my middle son that lives over in Ireland uh, and he used to live in London has been able to listen to it on the Fourth of July. But uh, one of our guys was Steve Nace's group. His son was in Alaska and was listening to it, and that got started. Uh, I want to say 2012, but WTHU has gotten there. Now he's gotten the cameras and he's taping the front stretch, so he is streaming that live. We just don't have the whole racetrack, so you can get the bits and pieces, and it's pretty impressive coming out of turn number four. And uh, so uh, hopefully we can catch some of that action, so you can listen to the whole race, and uh, you'll be able to watch at least the front straight. So we continue being a small operation to try to stay on the cutting edge. We're just on the tail of the alligator at this point in time, but we're trying to get up towards the head of it. Well, Richard and Brent, we thank both of you so much for your time. I hope of course. we can make it to 100 years. I know that's your goal, and I'm, I'm trying to be there with you. I did talk to Steve Nace just the other day, and and uh, we worked it out, and I'm going to be up there and help call the shots, and uh, we'll see you guys in a couple of days already. Oh, fantastic! Are you going to bring your Bubba friend with you? Well, I don't know where he's. I don't know where he's going to be at. I know he's jumping this weekend in Pennsylvania. I'll 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 try to see if I get him to tag along up there to to Frederick, Maryland on the Fourth of July. Yeah, you can put that on his resume. There you go. Well, both of you, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll see you guys real soon. Thank you so much, Scotty. Certainly appreciate the opportunity, and the best to you, sir. Dude, Richard is like one of those guys that you could just listen to all day talk flat track. I, I got to tell you. I liked I liked how he described the racetrack. It actually, it, it reminded me of sitting and li- listening to a baseball game on the radio without yeah. watching on TV, how they describe everything. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I try to do when I'm announcing too. And actually, Dave Zanotti thanked me after the races because he said before I was an announcer, he would always go check and see what the track was doing or he would check and see what race they were on. He said, but now that I'm announcing, he just listens to me and he can visualize what's happening out there. So that was a huge, huge compliment from Dave Zanotti. And and uh, I think Richard's the same way. He, I could actually, actually visualize going a lap around that racetrack when he was telling me about the, the Frederick Half Mile. He's definitely got a little bit of that announcer bug in him. You could tell you just listening to him. You're not just describing the track but talk about riders and talk about you know um the track itself that that they're going to be racing in, in on the fourth of july weekend there um it, it man, listening to him talk about listening to, him to talk about different riders and the, the venue that, that they they hold their track at and you know the series i mean he's he's definitely involved in flat track um and uh and has a passion for the sport Absolutely, and I, I sure hope that we can make it to 100 years. I told him I'd try to be there as many times as I could, so we're almost there. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. Like, you don't come this far and and, and not make it 100. Um, and I may have to drive up there and see that one, man. I, I, I got to figure that out because it's two years away, so I got some time to plan. I'm not going to make it this year, but I can start planning for the 99 and 100. What's kind of a bummer is the last couple of years we've raced the, the short track in New York the, the very following weekend. So this time I got to go up there, race that one, and then I got a weekend, a couple of days off, and then I go right back to New York. So kind of a bummer deal on that, but uh, you know that's not that's not Richard Riley's fault because his race is the Fourth of July every year. So they did move the New York short track a weekend later. So yeah. Oh well. Well, I got to give uh, Brent a shout out too. He was kind of quiet in that interview and pretty modest when we talked to him, but that dude does a lot for the sport as well. With that 
Access Media Labs and outside of Access Media Labs, he does a lot of different stuff too. So um, he's a big supporter of Flat Track as well. Uh, as you mentioned, he's created our, our podcast logo, which I still absolutely am in love with. So um, does really good work. If you guys are looking for for what shirts for anything creative, um, hit, hit, our, hit, our, hit our boy Brent up. And he also does, you know, websites for people. Yep. He's done the autograph pages for a lot of writers. He actually did my personal sticker. He was listening to the Texas Half Mile a few years ago and just did my logo and hit me up on, on a direct message. And I was like, man, I, that's awesome. Yeah. I, we didn't change anything. I went with it. I love it. Yeah, super cool. Um, and always good to talk flat track with people that are that passionate and that dedicated to helping the sport. So um, good to have them on and hear their story. And uh, if you aren't doing anything for the July weekend and you're just dying to see some flat track racing, now you know where to go. Absolutely. So I'm gonna I'm gonna elaborate a little further on my flat track back because now we're at the closing part of the show. Oh boy. So I said earlier yeah, I said earlier it was the sixth time in history that the brothers have finished first and second. So the Haydens did it twice. The Baumans now have done it twice, with last year at Pennsylvania, now this year in Laconia. Gary and Hank Scott did it once and Chuck and Larry Palmgren did it once. So uh, thanks again to Burt Sumner for giving us some stats. Um, I was actually named after Gary Scott, so I'm pretty proud of that one. That's my mom cool. didn't like my mom didn't like Gary and their last name was Scott, so that's why <laughs> my real name is Scott. That's awesome. I love that story. Um, and I love the flat track facts, man. It's always cool to like uh Hey, everyone that you've said so far has kind of blown my mind, so it's uh it's uh cool to get that every week. I'll try to keep coming up with some good stuff. I know you will, and if you don't, I know who will. Bert. Bert Sumner. I'm back Hi, Bert. Backup plan. Hi, Bert. Bert. Hey, Bert. Bert. All right. Um, you gonna wrap this up? Well, I was gonna go to Terre Haute, Indiana. You're out on that. But, now. but last minute. Steve Nay says, well, we better wait. They're going to use a local announcer, pretty local from Ohio, since there's a little bit of chance for some precipitation. I don't say the R word if it's almost race weekend. So uh, they're, they're still running the All-Star National Flat Track Series Saturday in Terre Haute, Indiana. If you're anywhere near that, check, you know, check that out. Uh, I heard last year the track was amazing, the best it's ever been. Unfortunately, I'm not going to that one now, so I'm going to be sitting at home and uh, trying to watch my phone and see who does what over there at, at Terre Haute. Yeah, man, it's always good to see a Steve nice race uh and uh where's Terre Haute, indiana Terre Haute, indiana gotcha um i'm not gonna make it up to indiana this weekend i'm actually gonna be hanging out in jacksonville you got a race down there yeah man it's a florida national first time i think in like 20 some years almost 30 years that they've had a a national uh, motocross event here in in florida so pretty stoked about it i actually went out to the track earlier this week and uh since it's like right around the corner and just checked it out it is a beautiful facility and they have pumped a lot of money into making that making that er, updating that track and the facility for this uh this event so i'm looking forward to it Awesome. I just wish I would have known. I wasn't working for Steve Nace, so I'll try to get a, a ticket to get down there and see you. But what? Uh, have, have fun down there. And uh, I, I really appreciate all the listeners, and we appreciate all the feedback, and we try to get back to all of them. And remember, smash that like button. Smash tell it. Your friend, tell all your friends about Off the Groove, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Peace. What do you think? Is that good? Hell yeah. Yeah? 
I think so. Feel good about that one? <laughs> I feel good. Is that going in? That's going in. I don't care. All right. Um, all right. Cool.